Financial markets are all about education and experience. Talking to industry professionals can therefore enrich everyone's journey to become financially literate, which is one of the core goals of Investro. Welcome to the Investro podcast, everyone. We have a very special episode today. It is a man with an incredible wealth of experience and depth of knowledge. It is Tom Barso. He really is a legend in the trading world, known for his very cool demeanor and also providing extremely consistent returns over many market cycles, over many years as well. He was the president and founder of Trendstack Capital, and he currently runs EnjoyTheRide.World, a website dedicated to trader education. And rumor has it he's a pretty skilled golfer as well. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Good to be here. Um, I guess the first thing we really want to go into, Tom, is uh, if you could maybe introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us what your journey was like into the world of trading. Well, I started out uh, delivering papers as a 12-year-old child, and I ended up investing the $10 a week I would make uh, delivering papers into a mutual fund back then. And that went up and down, and I got just looking at my monthly statements, I could start getting a little sense at an early age of risk. The fact that uh, stocks do go up and down, mutual funds go up and down. And so that stuck with me. And uh, I was always good at math and science. So I really wanted to be a chemical engineer. And I got a lot of scholarships from high school and went into uh, Clarkson University and got my chemical engineering degree. And when I came out, I still had that same mutual fund and I had seen it go through all sorts of ups and downs. And this would have been 1974. So you could imagine the time period I was in. Uh, that particular time period in 73, 74, the Standard Poor's 500 was down 50% at the end of the year. So as I was coming out, I had just seen a two year 50% down bear market. And of course, by the time I did get out mid-year in 1974 and had my first job as a chemical engineer, I, uh, it had recovered and I got out at about a break even and used that money to uh, try to help, you know, uh, put my life together, you know, as a new person out in the world away from university and uh, starting a job <laughs> and having to lease an apartment and do all these things as a single guy. And, uh, but that stuck with me that, wow, you know, like in a half a year, we've made back a bunch of profits. We were way down at the end of the year. I need to start planning ahead for my future as a chemical engineer. Back in those days, we went through booms and busts uh, all the time. And I think a lot of people in their careers uh, can see that depending on what your profession is. And engineers certainly were very commoditized back then. And you, in economic booms, mm -hmm. we needed 50 more engineers. And in depressions or recessions or whatever they were going through in terms of economics, they would be all uh, trying to lay people off. So what ended up happening then was that I ended up starting a stock portfolio first and I cobbled together enough money to open the account and I had to think about how do I deal with this risk that I'm very aware of 
And so one thing led to another. We subscribed to a lot of newsletters. I used to have lunch with a lot of other engineers. And we just talk stocks, bide our you know time for a, an hour away from the job. And everybody subscribed to different newsletters. We exchanged ideas. It was it kind of morphed into an investment club, which eventually myself and another guy virtually ran, it seemed. Uh, there was nobody else that was doing much work. And uh, so what ended up happening was we, uh, we ended up, oh, wait. Let me see. Yeah, there we go. We ended up um, uh, finally getting to the point where I could actually run a portfolio and I had risk protection built in and I started working more on timing and uh, trend following models. I didn't even know they were called trend following models. Uh, that was came much later in my career when people started putting names on this stuff. And you have to remember, this is before the internet and it's before personal mm -hmm. computers. I'm doing a lot of this on pieces of paper, graph paper, pencil, a calculator that add, subtract, multiply, divide, that's it. Uh, burning my eyes out on weekends trying to do some simple research projects. And, but one thing led to another, and when PCs came around in 1980, I was able to buy one and start doing little simulations loaded all my data onto that was from pieces of paper onto the computer so I could actually run simple studies and having an engineering background helped because I was able to program uh, what I was doing. And then I started realizing, hey, everybody wants to meet me, the money manager, and I can't be meeting people and then programming at the same time. It requires uh, some focus when you're programming. So I had to hire a programmer and hired another programmer and put together a staff and had an office and one thing led to another and pretty soon we're managing 600 million dollars for people all over the world and futures mm. yep. mutual fund timing uh fx was huge for us and uh that got into the euro uh, time frame so we've gone from engineering paperboy engineering uh, left and went full time in the money management business and just grew the firm organically uh, through more and more people coming in and more investors coming, uh, asking me to manage their money and and uh, yeah, not bad from starting as a, a paper boy just delivering the papers. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, kind of unbelievable your uh, what's happened really. I mean, uh, and you you obviously what you're you're doing now as well. You've got the website which you have, which is enjoytheride.world. Um, when you started that, I mean, what, what is, what's, your, what's your mission and what's, what's the overall goal of it? There's a great story about how that got started. My wife and I were in Malaga, Spain on a Sunday afternoon, a gorgeous day. Sun is overhead. We're at the pool and we're sipping on a rosado, which is a Spanish uh, rosé. And uh, we were just kicking around ideas. Uh, we were meeting a friend who had a small business there, training people, and he was doing very well for himself. And my wife asked me, you know, hey, you know, he's only got seven to 10 years of trading experience. You've got 30 or 40 um, and you're providing all this help to people. Why aren't you, uh, you know, training people or helping people do it and and actually receiving compensation for it? And I said, well, I really don't need the job and I don't want to have to get up in the morning and 
you know, on a Monday morning and do a group call with a bunch of traders trying to pick my brain, that sounds like a job and I'm retired. I don't really want to go back to work. I want to just manage our portfolios and all that. But I'm trying to become more efficient with answering emails and messages, direct messages on Twitter and all that. So we were brainstorming and I said, you know, what we got to do is it's got to be asynchronous. I have to be able to go out and play golf and somebody's got to have a problem or a question that they want answered. They have to be able to answer that question without me being involved. That would be highly efficient. How about if we do a website and try to just put everything Tom Basso in one place and publicize it enough to people know that it's there. And if they want to see what I'm doing with my hedging or they want to get my, what books would you recommend I read as a new trader, have it all in one place. And so enjoy the ride dot world, it turns out, uh, was the, the URL that we were able to lock onto. URL, uh, enjoytheride.com was taken by some bicycle riding. <laughs> I was going to ask actually that, yeah. <laughs> I have friends all over the world, so enjoytheride.world works for me. We nailed that, and it took us about a year from that point to throw together, pull photos of what happened over my career, career. Uh, all the research papers I've ever written and published are in one place, pulled together my hedging strategy and did graphics and explanation of that so people can see how I think through trading. Uh, things like all the interviews that I've ever done that I've gotten a copy of or a link to are all in one place. You can go listen to all the interviews I've ever done. It's getting to be a long list now. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like you've almost retired here, Tom. It feels like you're just, uh, you know, doing more and more work, having more and more interviews and linking. It's like, are you actually retired? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I put it this way. I, I, you're not the first person that's asked me that question. Uh, I put it this way. Uh, I can choose to do this interview that we're now doing, or I could choose to say, you know, I really, this week's not good. Let's do it two weeks from now or whatever. I can make it up as I go. Uh, the rest of this day, I'm going to be doing the testing on a trading platform that I've been consulting on, see if we can send our first futures orders. So that'll be after that. And then the rest of the day, I'm actually driving down to Scottsdale about an hour and a half away and uh, having a couple nights down there. And then I'll come back up here to the mountains, you know, to my lovely home in the in the mountains here. Uh, you know, my life's not too hard. Um, uh, there's times when I work. There's a lot of times when I play. I think it's really nice that you're able to pass on your sort of uh, all of your knowledge and experience that you've had for so many years. Is there something that you could imagine you need to really ask uh, or, or let know the inexperienced traders of the world? What, they, what should they know before they sort of even enter the market at all? Is there some sort of golden piece of information you'd like to give? Well, there's when somebody's starting out, there's a tendency to, and I did the same thing as a newbie, I did the same exact thing. You get obsessed with where am I going to buy and sell? And mm -hmm. you lose sight of what it is you're going to trade and how to diversify it appropriately. And you lose sight of position sizing 
which is more critical than where you're going to buy or sell. Because if you position size poorly, you're going to put too much in one instrument, not enough in another. Something's going to dominate the portfolio. You're going to have very erratic results. And that's not extremely satisfying. It's frustrating. And I learned those lessons early on and I got better at what I did. It took me four years of trading futures to get to the point where I felt like over an entire year, I actually broke even. And I, after four years, and the other years were losses. So three years of losses, one year of breaking even, and the fifth year, I actually started making decent money. And I learned along the way, I called it the, the college of trading. Uh, you, you spend some money, hopefully a small amount, and you learn while doing, and you get better at it and better at it. So what I would encourage newbies, uh, new traders to, to do is to not obsess over their buy-sell decision as much as think a little bit more globally. What is the entire strategy going to encompass? And that includes, but is not limited to, things like how am I going to size my positions? What indicators am I going to use? How am I going to get my data? What if the internet goes down? What if my family interrupts my trading because the child is sick at school and somebody's got to go pick them up? What do you do? Mm. Contingency plans. Plan it like you are going into a business, not just some kind of a casino where you uh, go in there and sit down at a slot machine and put money into it and then pull the, push the button or pull the lever. That's what a lot of people think trading is all about and really successful trading and certainly doing it with a serene lifestyle like I've got has you have to have everything planned you have to know when the market's going to close when you're going to get your data when you're going to run your numbers when you're going to ship your orders how are you going to ship your orders who are you going to ship them to is your broker the right broker to use for what you're going to try to do are you diversified enough all of those things are part of trading and, and the new trader usually just ignores all of those things and has to figure that out over years if they're lucky. Do you think uh, everyone just has to learn the hard way? It seems that uh, everybody seems to get burnt and then go, oh yeah, it's not the way to do it. Um, and then they get sort of back in the pool, so to speak. I mean, there was one thing I was gonna ask you about. Do you think the sort of demo or whatever you call it, paper trading, is is sort of a really good thing for people to do so uh, sort of dummy trading before they jump in it's better than doing nothing but it's not as good as trading real money because a lot of trading is the mental process the psyche of trading and it's something i'm i guess i'm well known for because i'm, I'm supposed to be mr serenity so i've spent a lot of time trying to deal with my own biases, my own beliefs, and how the market can push your buttons and try to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. And I think that as you get into trading and you realize that you get seasoned and you, you got all these things in place and your position sizing is perfect, it's still going to be the psyche that gets in your way. And that's a, a lesson that you learn by trading real money. And even if it's small amounts, I would encourage people to look at 
things like if you're going into futures, do the micro contracts, the very, very smallest contracts you can do. You're not going to get hurt too badly if you do something stupid, but you get experience actually putting a trade in, seeing it filled, uh, realizing that the market is moving fast and, and pushing all your buttons. And I think that that really helps, uh, helps you learn about your own psyche and your own biases and some of your blind spots that you'll run into that you have to figure out a way to deal with over time. And I think that that's um, not going to happen in paper trading because you know it's paper trading. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people maybe get overexcited and put all their eggs in one basket or put all their money into one trade and then it goes down and and then they panic sell. And I mean, this all comes down to sort of emotional discipline, I guess, the psychology of it. Yeah, I mean, keeping uh, keeping calm uh, it's in, in this kind of business has got to be one of the most sought after skills, which people can't ever get because it's kind of part of you, isn't it, really? I think more than anything else, but... Um, one of the things that I want to ask as well about um, sort of for the psychology side of things as well is, do you have any sort of brain training exercises or anything that you use for mental preparation to stay sharp? Yeah, there was a couple different ideas that I did back when I was trying to learn more about awareness. I just took a post-it note, little tiny sticky note, and I'd stick it on my computer someplace and it said on it, be aware. And every... I set up an alarm on my computer so that once an hour, it would just set off an alarm and that would trigger me to look at that note and say, be aware. And what I would do is go back in and analyze, was I really aware of what I was doing at that point or was I just trying to get things done and just processing uh, task lists, you know, just trying to get through the next task cross it off, do the next one, cross mm -hmm. it off. And um, that's what I call sort of getting into your conscious mind and just kind of getting things done. And you lose sight of whether you're stressed, uh, were you holding? I, I started realizing that it was on the computer. If I was more stressed, uh, my fingers would tend to get rigid and my I could tell there was tension in my fingers as I was typing. And so I was sort of putting strain into my fingers as I was typing on the computer. And as soon as I realized that if I could be aware, I could just relax those fingers, just, you know, make them loose and let your shoulders not, you know, be hunched and nervous, but just relaxed mm -hmm. and everything is, you know, your legs are relaxed, all your muscles are relaxed. and. If you be aware of when you're not that way, you can make yourself that way. And then it starts, what I found happening is little by little, it just shows up all the time. You don't need the alarm anymore. You don't need the uh, post-it note. You just start being aware of what's going on in your body and how much tension you're carrying or how much you're losing sight of what's important today and, and you're getting caught up in the I don't know, the, uh, you know, the... The rat race. The rat race. Once I realized that, I think that's a, a good thing to think about uh, as an exercise. Another thing that I think I tried to do in basketball, actually, when I was playing basketball, I would call the defenses out on my team and 
I had to keep track of guys that would go behind me. And so there was this part of my brain that I had to work on to keep track of, okay, there's a guy over here to my right. He's going behind me. I haven't seen him come out the left yet, so he must still be behind me. And meanwhile, I'm focusing on yelling out stuff for the guards that are you know, up in front of me someplace because I can see what's going on there. And I'm helping them out. And hey, there's a guy cutting behind you, Barry. Hey, Gary, there's, uh, uh, there's a guy out to the left that's open, you know, and he's got to move out. And we ended up winning three out of our four championships um, in the intramural leagues that uh, while I was in college. And it got just to be habit of being aware of what's behind me, being aware uh, of what's to my side of my vision. And I think that that is another thing that just builds your awareness of what's going on with you. And in trading, knowing what's going on with you allows you to put yourself in mental states. For instance, if you find yourself getting greedy uh, and you're aware of that, well, then what's that going to be? Let's see, this stock is doubled. I really want to take this profit, but it's not my strategy but boy, that'd be really nice. And we could go out to dinner tonight and buy a nice steak and get a bottle of wine and celebrate because I locked in this profit. Uh, but now you're deviating from your strategy. And what are you gonna do next? You're, now you're off the track, right? And uh, mm -hmm. I think you, by being aware, you can then rein yourself in and say, wait, you're getting a little greedy here. Let's just get back to balance, run the program. You got these other ones that are losers. You got this one that's a gainer. They all average out. Let's just keep doing the program. And uh, I think that's what I've been able to do over the, the years successfully. And I, a lot of that is due to the awareness, to being disciplined, to taking self-responsibility for everything that goes on so that you can correct things. When you blame others or blame your family or blame your spouse or blame the broker or blame the market, you're not taking responsibility. And I think by taking self-responsibility, you, you can do something about improving yourself. And uh, it's a process. It doesn't happen in one day, but over the years, you can make a lot of progress. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I really like what you said, actually, because and especially with the, the sticker on the computer and you look at it every hour, it's kind of like, OK, adjust yourself, get back to it, remember. And it's, it's, it's something that I'm probably going to pick up as well, because that does really make sense. And you can go back into the zone, into the relaxed mode that you're supposed to be in. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really good advice. And um, one of the things, the main things that we really wanted to talk to you today um, which I was wondering if you could sort of explain to us on the sort of most basic level possible um, would be what is position sizing? And would you be able to give like a, an ex a small example in relation to it? Okay, um, let's start with a small portfolio. We've only got $5,000 we're going to talk about or 5,000 of whatever it is that we're trading. <clears throat> you, you want some diversification Let's figure that in this particular instance, the only thing you can trade are stocks. So you'd like to put together a portfolio that's somewhat diversified, but you can't be overly diversified because you don't have the assets to do it. So let's shoot for 10 positions. We've got 5,000. So we know we can only buy $500 per position or so. Now, if we were to go buy 
a uh, high-tech, fast-moving stock with one of those $500 pieces of money, that's going to move at one speed. Now, if we take the next 500 and we go and buy a, uh, an electric power company that pays a big dividend, that's going to move very, very differently. So good for diversification. That's a good move. But if we put the same amount in both of those positions, which one's going to drive the portfolio? It's going to be the fast-moving tech stock. The utility stock will just sit there not having much of an effect. So one of the things I try to suggest people do is to use some just simple math and say, I really want each of my positions to be, let's say, a half a percent of the daily movement of the portfolio. I don't want anything to move faster than that because it will grab my attention, it will make me greedy, it will make me depressed, it will make me nervous or anxious. Set your own limits to suit yourself. Some people are gonna be more risk tolerant than others. If, you, if you're making you know, four or five million dollars a year in, uh, in various uh, incomes, and you're dealing with a loss of potentially $500, well, you're not going to be nervous, right? So it all mm -hmm. depends on, on your situation. Again, it gets back to you, the individual, who you are, how you view risk. But if you then can say to yourself, well, how about if we change what my example was, we're 500 and 500, let's, how about if we bought, say, $350 of the high-tech stock and maybe the, you know, whatever the number would be, $800 or something like that of the utility company. And then we bought this industrial uh, guy that was going to be about 500, he's somewhere in the middle. And we volatility balance all those positions so that they all can contribute on the good side and bad side to what happens in the portfolio. Now you truly have a solid portfolio where everything all the pistons of the engine are doing their job and they're driving that portfolio forward. You're not just relying on one particular position to drive it and you're living and dying with that one position. And I think that's uh, the easy answer that a lot of people do is, I'll oh, just put the same amount of money in all of the, the 10 positions. And that would be, um, it'd be a way of doing, it'd be better than doing nothing, but, uh, it'd be better than just saying I'm going to buy uh, 500 shares of everything and then you end up with completely different dollar amounts even. That could be even more screw, uh, screwed up. But if you put the same amount of dollars in each position, you still will have not an optimal uh, blend of your portfolio because of the, the domination of some of the higher moving, faster moving uh, positions. I think it's quite hard for people to know where to go to get that solid advice that they can kind of trust. And sometimes people listen to the get rich quick schemes is the problem because uh, they think that's what I want. But actually, the, what you're talking about, the slow long term method is where it's at, really, isn't it? There's almost so much information now, thanks to the Web. I mean, I, I can go back and find research papers that I published 30 years ago and they're still floating around out there. There is so much stuff. It is really hard for the new uh, newcomer <laughs> to figure out what to believe. There's so many opinions. At any moment in time, there's a buyer and seller in the market. So there's somebody who thinks the market's going to go up and there's somebody who thinks it's going to go down. 
And you can find 10 of those opinions on both sides uh, everywhere. So you really have this overwhelming avalanche of information and the, the new person can't sort through it. One thing I would advise for new investors, when you listen or read something, something that I say, something that anybody says, if I say, I think the market's going to go up, that would be an opinion. You should flag it as such. You should say, Tom thinks the market's going to go up in your brain. Now, if Tom says the S&P 500 is at 4305, that would not be an opinion. That's a fact. That's a data point. Mm -hmm. You flag that as an actual fact or a data point. If you can now read articles separating out opinion from fact and start forming your own opinion about what goes on, you'll be leaps ahead of most people. Because most people listen to their broker, they listen to the financial planner, they listen to the Wall Street Journal, heard on the street, the opinions, those are all fine. And these are all smart people. But smart people do not have 100% accuracy rate any more than uh, newcomers to the market. So if you can tag something with an opinion versus a fact, that really helps sort through all the myriad of articles about everything that just can overwhelm you. And uh, it makes, makes you start focusing on facts and forming your own opinion. And then things become a lot clearer. This is, uh, yeah, no, this is some really uh, good information to, to take from you, Tom. I think that a lot of people actually want to have the slow, steady road and actually do things on the long term, but they get kind of personalities who aren't used to it and aren't really wanting to do it, are forced into the white knuckle holding on for dear life strategy. And uh, I think that they do need to really learn and form their opinion on what they think is right and then go in small and learn how to do it. Um, and unfortunately, it is the, the slow and boring way is the best way, probably, isn't it? Yeah, I think that the, the stereotypical Wall Street, you know, the trader, uh, Wolf of Wall Street or any of these types of Hollywood movies always portray the trader as uh, probably drinking too many martinis and smoking, chain smoking and very nervous and all that. And reality, good trading in reality, good trading is, is doesn't have to be that. I think there's some traders that do think that it needs to be that way, and they may even be successful. Um, but that would they would have to have that kind of personality to be able to really embrace that. I I can't imagine that they have much of a personal life. I can't imagine their family life is very uh, fun to be around. Um, they're chasing after a very shallow goal. Uh, for me. You know, my goal in life is to enjoy life and to help other people and, and all that. I, I feel like I know exactly why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing and everything's fine. And I don't see you have to grab that stereotypical, you know, image and then just pattern yourself after that. I think it's a mistake. You have to know yourself. In the end, design what you're doing to suit you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, another uh, area I wanted to talk about was contingency plans and really thinking about how can traders develop a more anything can happen kind of mindset and be and sort of not underestimate any kind of black swan events that could happen. 
Well, the first thing uh, you could do is put a plaque on your wall that says the market will do what the market will do and truly believe it. Um, quit predicting. Quit trying to guess what it's going to be in six months because the market will do what the market will do. Secondly, you could have an, another plaque right beneath it saying life will do to you what life will do to you. And uh, that involves the internet going down, the electricity going off, the computer malfunctioning, your broker platform going down, you becoming sick and you can't do what you normally would do or being injured somehow and in a hospital, having your family have an emergency of some sort. Life will throw at you unimaginable things. And to have a complete trading strategy and think through how you're going to structure what you do, you have to be able to think through and just, just kind of make like you're writing a book or something, just dream up crazy things. You know, you live in Oklahoma in the US, what happens when a tornado roars through and you know completely uh, rips your neighborhood apart and uh, you're safe, but everything's destroyed. How are you, what happens to your trading account? You know, how'd, you've got positions on, can you get to them with a phone, a cell phone and liquidate that? Can you call somebody and have them do that for you? What's your backup plan? You gotta think of these things. That's all part of running a business called trading. When you take it as I'm a trader, as opposed to I'm a businessman who trades, you get a different image. You know, you're worried about whether the market's going up or down today, instead of worrying about how are you gonna create backups for your business? How is your data backed up? How are your positions, uh, you know, does, does your broker have an alternative location so that if Chicago goes down, you can put them through San Francisco or Singapore or something? Uh, you know, a lot of brokerages have multiple branches so you could react to situations. I know you said that you kind of mentored yourself, really. There wasn't anybody particular uh, that, that really stand, that stood in front of you that you sort of looked up to. But can you think of some amazing advice or something that somebody has given you over the years that really sticks in your mind and has helped you? Actually, Larry Height in The First Market Wizards made a statement that was profoundly impactful to me. And I've told him this personally. We've been on the phone talking to each other a couple of times and he, um, funny guy, I love listening to him uh, in, in interviews if you ever get a chance. He approached the trading similar to sort of gambling again. And he said, my goal is to try to take the risk that I have to bet on every trade and he used that term. I'm betting a certain amount on this new trade. I wanna make sure that my risk is the same in every bet that I make. I thought, wow, that's interesting. What he's doing is position sizing kind of, but as an engineer, when he said that, I started seeing, okay, dollars of risk on the trade divided by the equity in my portfolio. That gives me a percent I'm risking of the portfolio. If I make that the same using position sizing, then I'm gonna be betting the same amount every time. So that was the essence that started, you know, what ended up becoming a book. And I did the same thing in volatility as well as risk. So I, I looked at both of them and I even added in margin eventually. So I was position sizing by three different techniques and taking the minimum size 
that came up of all three calculations. And of course, the computers did a lot of the work there, uh, which helped a lot, but you could do it by calculator. If you were a small investor and you didn't have the computer expertise, you could literally just hit your calculator a few times and it's pretty easy math. Or you could set up a little spreadsheet that does it for you. But I think that what Larry said there really hit me uh, as an up and coming uh, manager. And I incorporated that in, never looked back. We used that the rest of the time I was at Trendstat before I retired and shut it down. And I still use it today. And I credit him for triggering that part of my brain that came up with that. Yeah, that's a, no, that's a really nice story to have, isn't it? And, uh, you know, some people do say some profound things in your life. And when they make that kind of impact where you're writing a book afterwards from like, you know, it triggering something in your mind, it's uh, kind of a, a great thing to happen. It shows when you have uh, people who are around you who are so knowledgeable and able to give you this kind of information, how valuable it is to have the right kind of people around you. Have you always, have you had like a team of people over the years and uh, that you've been sort of very happy with and, and, and work closely with them? Not, not really. Uh, we put together a good crew at Trendstat. They were all friends and, and knew what they had to do. And we all sort of had our own jobs, if you will. You know, I'm the guy that starts the company. So I'm the guy that gives the speeches and meets the clients and, and writes yeah. the the press releases and writes the uh, research papers. Uh, my name goes on all that stuff. But we had other guys that were really good with trading that had to execute the be there and back each other up. And somebody had to be there on 4th of July because guess what? Britain is still open on the 4th of July. We revolted against Britain. Um, so even though it's a holiday in the States, the markets are still open in some parts of the world. So when we were mm -hmm. trading 80 futures markets and currencies all over the place, we had to still be there even on 4th of July, thanks, uh, Thanksgiving, a lot of people take a four day weekend, you know, Hey, Friday markets are open. Somebody's got to be there. So you got a staff that backs each other up, has registered to do that legally staff that understands how the file systems work and how the computers work and what does what to to which computer and uh so we had a good crew that we had 40 computers and 10 people at the peak and uh everybody got it done it was great thanks a lot tom uh, was there, i think is there any sort of final advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners that you think is is what we you'd like to end on today i think it's it's another saying that it seems like I've gotten tagged with. As you go through your trading journey and, and really life, I think you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have sideways. And uh, the important thing to learn to do is to enjoy the ride, which is what I named my website after. Some golden advice. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on, uh, Tom. I think we'd like to have you back on again. I'm sure we could whittle on about some other information. I feel like I have more knowledge and I'm calmer. So the Mr. Serenity vibe is definitely felt on this side. Um, thank you so much again. And hopefully we can speak to you again soon. That'd be great. It's good talking to you and let's do it again. 
Um, I'd also just like to mention to our listeners, please remember to go to Investro.com where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive the latest information on the investment world and it will come every week for you to take note of. Also, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and find links to our social media as well.